Okay, today we're going to do a quick uh, call on the neuro linguistic hypnotic model, the new model, the secret to master change. Um, and what we'll be talking about today, special thanks to uh, Cap uh, Captain Billy Schilling, Stephen Porges. Uh, there's several other people, I always forget the name, but you know, it, it changed how I look at everything and um, opened up my scope of, of what we're doing. But a lot of people ask this, it's part of what we teach now in the basic uh, NLP, because it's a different model. But as always, as I always tell people, if you're going to do a recording, always put your contact info up at the beginning, <laughs> especially since I'm probably going to put this on YouTube and that, so you never know who will see it. But if you want to get in touch with me, uh, those are the easy ways, nfnlp.com, Dr. Will Horton, drwillhorton.com, there's several ways. But always as we start, ask yourself, how, what can I learn new today? And this actually goes to the hot model, which is if you ask your brain questions or you ask yourself questions, your brain goes into trying to answer that question, right? And so what can I learn new today? And how can I apply this information? And as always, how can I have fun today? So it's kind of cool. All right. So, excuse me. And, you know, if time is fluid, past, present, future, all events can be re-experienced and re-imprinted, right? Um, so when we make changes um, from in your life at any given point, it's it's a way to re-imprint old imprints. And, you know, I've had uh, some interesting conversations with people when I start now, I'm just saying, there is no such thing as an initial sensitizing event. The way your brain works, that's not how your brain actually works. You know, I understand the theory. It's one of these things when people talk about it, it makes sense intellectually. But if you really understand like three basic concepts, um, and I'm not saying a regression wouldn't work, it's just, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? But once you change the past, it comes forward and changes the future. Um, and one of the most overlooked aspects of NLP in general and hypnosis is people try to get fancy, right? And and I always say a lot of trainers want to appear smart, you know, so they make things more complicated. Um, in fact, the whole field of NLP where they made up all these words, um, my favorite is transderivational search, which is means look through your past. They could have just said, look through your past, but they come up with a really cool word because it sounds smart, right? But what we'll be talking about today gives you a blueprint to open up um, the subconscious mind. And I always talk about, and I've said this one several times, one of my favorites lately, the Princeton Seminary Study. And this is what happens with a lot of NLP types and trainers. And what it was, they took some uh, Princeton students who were in graduate school to become, I don't know, ministers, preachers, whatever they were, they were in seminary school. And so they got them together and they said, okay, your, your assignment is to go speak on um, uh, um, Oh, what's it called? The, you know, helping people. The, uh, oh, just fell out of my head. Um, the Good Samaritan. They're going to go preach on the Good Samaritan. So they reviewed it and talked about it. And all the guys are probably, and girls, are probably sitting there thinking how they're going to talk about it. You know, what, what people do in seminary school, right? They're thinking of that. And so they send them on their way. And right before they left, they said, oh, by the way, you got to start speaking in five minutes and every person they gave where they were supposed to speak was about an eight, nine minute walk. So they had to really hustle to get to where they were going. All right. So they're, they leave. 
the real part of the study was they took the acting students from the, and Princeton has a good acting school. They took the acting students and gave them the assignment to be in the way of each one of these people going to go talk on the Good Samaritan. You know, like they're hurt, they're wounded. Somebody's just girl sitting there just crying in the middle of public and all this other stuff. And what they found is every single seminary student did not stop to help the person in need. They avoided them to go and preach on how to be the Good Samaritan which is kind of interesting, right? Including one or two literally stepped over someone that were laying on the stairs to get up into the building to go and talk, right? And it's all about how, and, and this is kind of tied into what I'm talking about. It's easy to lose the forest for the trees, right? And so like in the NLP and the hypnosis world, especially at the basal level, you know, people want to start teaching all this advanced stuff they're losing the forest for the tree. Somebody's got to understand the basics before you can get fancy, right? Uh, to use the martial arts analogy, which I always do, there's a reason it takes two, three years just to learn the basic movements in martial arts, the front kick, the back kick, how you do a punch, all this other stuff, right? Uh, you could show somebody how to do something fancy, like a, I always say a spinning back kick or a hook kick. But, and maybe they could look like they could do it, but they wouldn't understand it. They'd have no idea what it was. And when it didn't work, they'll, it just, the whole thing goes out. So it's something to think about. And what we'll be talking about is a, is a concept called the triune brain. And it comes from Paul McKenna, Paul McLean, not McKenna, McLean. Um, and it's, some arguments would say it's been, uh, it's fallen out of favor, but for what we do, it's a model that works great. That you have basically have three brains operating at all times right? The, the reptilian brain, which is the first part of your brain to develop when you're born, right? It keeps you alive. Uh, basically survival instincts, breathing, eating, swallowing, um, and all that. And its basic response to stress is to freeze, right? That's your reptilian brain. Um, it'll startle, and then it'll like, if you watch a lizard, it would be a good example. And as you develop, as humans develop, they go into the midbrain, right? Which is the mammalian brain is what it, what most people would call it, right? And this is, begins to interact with others, right? Begins to interact with others. Um, and then at the, at the highest, and this, and at the highest level is your neocortex, your front brain, where it's the higher thinking skills. One way to look at it, if you've ever had a baby or been around a baby, people will constantly, and it's true, those of us have done it, and you know this, um, which is, you know, somebody will say, all my baby does is eat, sleep, poop, and cry. That's it. That's all the baby does when it's first born. That's it. It eats, sleeps, poops, and cries. And if you startle it, it'll freeze, right? And then cry, right? That's, that's its response. And actually, that's their reptilian brain, which is the first thing to, they, 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 that's developed so you can survive to eat, breathe, do the things you need to do, right? And then around the ages, they usually say three months or a little bit older, the midbrain starts to develop. That's when a baby will like recognize the parents or the caregivers and they'll smile. They begin to interact with, with the people around them. They'll smile. They'll, they'll react to the, the people's emotions around them. That's their midbrain reacting. The mammalian brain, just like your dog or your cat, I see Mary Beth with her cat, they can respond to your emotions and your basic physiology. It's, it's deep, it, they just do that, right? 
right? Okay, fine. And then your neocortex, your front part of your brain, starts developing in adolescence. It has a spurt around that 12, 13, 14 mark, right? It has to do with hormones. That's when kids go crazy, but it hasn't fully developed to your late teens or some people would say into your mid 20s. In men, it develops a little slower than women, right? Uh, and so that's why you get teenagers that are highly emotional, right? And they don't really think through their activities, right? And it's because they're still relying on their reptilian brain and their midbrain. They don't have, they have a little bit of the neocortex, but not quite all of it, right? And it's just different levels. So as we always say, if, you're, if you think about things you did in your adolescence that you're embarrassed about, it's your brain. You know, you didn't, you, you didn't know better. Just like good reaction, if you've ever been in a trauma, like a crime or something bad happened and you froze, right? And you froze, you think, why, why did I freeze? Why didn't I respond? Why didn't I jump out on the street and help that person, right? Well, it's your brain regressed to the reptilian thing where it froze. It's going to take in information and it's going to take a while to work through that, right? They just made a big deal. I guess there, there was an attack in New York and I guess two doormen watched, right? While it went on and then as it de-escalated and the, and the bad guy started to go away, they ran out to help the victim. And, you know, of course they're, they're really like reaming those guys for doing that. But at the same time, they probably regret, they froze because they're t this is an unusual situation. We don't see violent crime like this, right? And so they're, they didn't respond. So it's just how your brain works, right? This is your trying brain, right? Uh, and I think it's so cool because if you develop habits in adolescence, my big thing now, and I'm, I'll be doing a new addiction course, one of the most important questions I find in addictions, if someone drinks alcoholically or started, or uses drugs, one of the most important questions is when did you start drinking or using drugs addictively, right? Not just experiment, kids are gonna experiment. But if you start drinking alcoholically at 14, what that means is your neocortex never really developed. In the AA 12-step world, they've said for years, wherever, whatever age you were when you started drinking is when your brain froze, right? You don't have the emotional content and the, you know, the emotional control. And so it's kind of interesting. It's just stuff I'm finding out, it's cool. But now we're gonna jump into your autonomic nervous system in the triune brain, right? And again, these three brains have different responses. The reptilian brain will freeze or basically faint or feign death, right? Um, if I was more organized, I'd show a little clip of there's a, you know, like a gazelle being chased by a, by a lion and the, the lion gets the gazelle down and it looks dead and it's just laying there not moving. But then the hyenas come up and the lion has to go fight the hyenas and the moment the threat goes away, you see the gazelle jump up and run away, right? Because it was in total reptilian shutdown when it got attacked, because there's a lion gonna eat it, right? And then once it came up, it kicked into it, its highest brain, which is the mammalian brain for that animal, and it's gonna fight or flee. And of course, a gazelle can't fight a lion, so it's gonna run, right? So we have these different responses, right? And then your highest brain, your primate brain, or your emotional brain, your social engagement brain, recognizes facial expressions, 
joy, happiness, surprise. These are universal. Disgust, anger. It can also pick up skin tone, color, flushing. Smiles, very important. That's why I dislike masks, by the way. Because you, you're trained to read, you know, um, not just a person's eyes, but how they're holding their jaw, how they're holding their, and this is unconscious, right? So anyway, but, you know, you're going to socially engage. These are just the different levels of the mind, right? Now, what I want to talk about, which is the naturalistic theory of, hip, of hypnosis and NLP. And basically, if you understand your triune brain, you're constantly going between these three levels of your actual physical brain, not just your mind. But the disassociation that's, that's integral or needed for trance or hypnosis or an NLP technique, right, um, is normal and natural, right? It's why when someone first relaxes, they'll get that Im immobility of their arm. You know, they can't lay, raise their arm. They've, they've suddenly dropped into a different part of their brain, right? Loss of muscle tone. It's why in the classic techniques, uh, uh, the Dave Elman, raise, make sure the arm's loose, right? That means they're in a different part of their brain, right? It's also why when you really begin to understand this, this whole thing that some organizations and people still teach about depth scale, six or 12 or whatever it is, is it's not true, right? When I should put the scales up, but if you use the classical three, six level model, you know, that you have to be in like level five to negatively hallucinate, right? One of the deep trans. I go, really? So to not see something that's there, you got to be in deep trans. They go, yes. I go, have you ever lost your keys and you're looking all over and they're right on the counter and everybody, finally your spouse or somebody goes, oh, they're right there, a-hole. It's right here. You literally didn't see it. You are negatively hallucinating. You weren't in formal trance. It's your mind's bouncing around different levels all the time. So this whole idea, you got to be in a certain level or like the deepest level, level six, to positively hallucinate, to see something that's not there. I dare say we do this all the time. I'm sure you were there. No, I wasn't there. You know, I wasn't there. Somebody was just talking to somebody. Yeah, you were at that conference a couple of years ago, one of the conferences. I go, no. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you were there. I'm like, I can tell you because I've never been to that conference. I wasn't there, right? Well, I'm pretty sure. Well, they've seen me at other conferences. Their brain filled it in. You know, they probably heard someone, probably one of my students talk about NLP. Maybe, they're, maybe they mention my name and boom, there I am, right? It's how your brain works. So the natural theory about going into trance, which a lot of hypnotists in NLP type, especially guys that are into like supposedly waking hypnosis, will act like it's something mysterious or hard to do when actually it's very easy and natural, right? If you understand it. So you're gonna go to different levels. And when you tag it in to this next thing, you know, the naturalistic theory, it's basically how you respond to a hostile environment. Your brain developed over millions and millions of years, eons, to do one thing, which is to keep you alive, to look for threats. Number one, we are threat-oriented individuals, right? Because we are not the biggest, fastest, strongest things on the planet. In fact, all animals, the ones that survive are the ones that respond to a hostile world, right? And it, we call it existential threat, a lion, a tiger, a bear. You know, is, is that person standing there, are they a threat to me? 
You know, are they part of my tribe or are they part of my, are they somebody that will kill me, right? And it's why your brain responds this way. You're constantly searching for existential threat. Now, especially in the last couple hundred years, we're not constantly bombarded with existential threats. There are some, but it's not like it used to be. So if that's the case, our brains lock into other things. It will look for things to be worried about. It will, neg it will default to being negative, right? It's just the way your brain works. You, it, has, it takes a lot of work to change it around, right? And so when you're being scared, it does that, right? And so again, the disassociation that you need for trance or NLP techniques um, is a way to deal with any kind of threat, right? So it's normal and natural. And when you connect this to what I call the hierarchy of thought, it disrupts the flow of information and it gives you a different way to look at it, right? And we call this the hot model. And what the hot model is, hierarchy of thought, hot, right? Is basically you have these different levels that your brain's dropping to. And it kind of coincides with, you know, the triune brain. That's why it's a good model. You can argue whether it's true or not, but it's a good model. The first level of thought, when you're really in the first level of thought, you're having the experience, the primary sensory experience, right? You're in the lowest part, you're down into the deep mammalian brain, probably in the reptilian brain, right? So you have the thought, I'm angry, I'm hungry, I'm upset. You're in the experience. And when you're really in the experience, everything else disappears. You're not thinking, you're reacting, right? Which is good. And we train ourselves to do this with things like sports, uh, rapid response training, where you're going to respond in certain ways. It has to be at this level. You can't think about it. Anybody that's ever played any sport of any kind can tell you a lot of the sports happen at such a speed, you can't think that fast. You can't think fast enough to respond, to block the punch, to block the shot, to hit the bait. You have to go on autopilot. So we know now we can train our brain, but the first level of thought, you're in the experience, right? So, so let's say, like you say, you're angry. I'm angry or I'm hungry. You're there. So if you're angry, you'll, 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 do, you'll find a reason to be angry. If you're hungry, you'll just start eating, right? And so that's the first level of thought. The second level of thought is you pull back one level and you go to the, the thinking thing. I, I, you know, I'm having the thought I'm angry. I'm having the thought I'm hungry. And then you might go, hmm, that's interesting. I just ate. Why am I acting like I'm hungry? Right? So you pull out of it. So you're out of the experience and you're in the mammalian brain a little bit higher, which we do know like, like a lot of animals can think simple thoughts. They can begin to put things together. And this is what happens in this level of our brain. We don't do deep thoughts. We don't do deep connections. But, you know, like a dog, a cat, they can go, you know, if I do this, I get this response, right? And out of the experience, and they're, they're thinking about the thought. And then the highest level of thought is the third order, uh, which is, I, I'm having the thought I'm angry, right? And that's what we teach people in in the old, I still remember the old uh, anger uh, control model. Count to 10 and then think, what are you really angry at, right? It pulls you out of the experience. So you're thinking in the 10th, counting to 10, even if it takes a split second, pulls you out of the experience and you go, you know, I'm really not hungry. I'm bored. 
You know, there's nothing new on TV. People wonder why all these people gained all this weight during the um, uh, uh, pandemic. And part of it, they're bored. People are just bored. You know, they because the TV shows ran out. There was no new movies. There's not a lot to do. A lot of us, when it first started to happen, oh, I'm going to take all these classes. And we did. Thank God I took all these neurology classes, trauma classes. And after about, you know, it was about June, July, I'm like, I'm sick of this shit. I don't want to take any more classes right now. I'm just like, I'm classed out, you know? And as my wife would tell you, I got no class anyway. So, hey, you know, um, so people are bored. And then, but if you pull back from, I'm not really hungry, I'm bored. There's nothing on TV. There's not. So, uh, and that's what we do when you think of it this way, if we have these three levels of thought, now when you look at hypnosis or NLP, it gives you a, a model of how the NLP techniques work. Uh, one of the classics, to go back to this, like the, the fast phobia technique in NLP, where you watch yourself watch a movie, it's double disassociation, right? You're watching yourself watch the movie. So you're not really having an experience, you're watching yourself down there have the experience, it's double disassociation. And then the, you know, in the phobia technique, you watch yourself freak out, let's say have a phobia, there's the spider, and then you watch yourself watch the movie and you change that, you run it backwards and in color, right? Which breaks it up. And then if you imagine watching yourself have a different response, which is the, the step a lot of people forget, even I don't usually teach at the basic level, so you rewind it, and then when you redo it, you're editing the movie so you have a better response. So you're you're buying that split second, so the next time you'll have a different response. So it pulls you out, it rewrites something. Our brains are a little bit more fluid, they think, than a lot of the other animals. So that's why the hypnosis and NLP techniques work, um, even on like a one session, couple of sessions intervention. But now we also know from certain things that's great, but it's got to be repeated, right? And either they have to do it themselves, they have to uh, begin to develop a process because the way you get neuroplasticity, which is a big buzzword in, in all psycho psychology, right? And especially in the hypnosis and NLP world, but what I noticed in the hypnosis and NLP world, they forget that true neuroplasticity takes a lot of repetition depending on what you're learning. And it really takes a lot of repetition if you're unlearning an old pattern to learn a new pattern, right? You can teach a rat to run down and take a left in a maze pretty quickly. But once you install that, and now you want it to go down, take a right, and then take a left, or whatever, take a right instead of a left, and then turn the other way, they gotta unlearn, because for hundreds of times, they're still gonna run down and take a left the way they were trained. And it's only when that doesn't work, then they'll keep doing it. And they, they, it takes a while to rewrite the old models of your brain, right? And again, NLP tech work, techniques work by bypassing the critical factor using non-threatening process changes. So when you watch yourself, watch the movie, have the phobia response, you're not really freaking out about the spider, you're watching yourself. It's double, it's a disassociation, right? Or if you're doing the new behavior generator where you watch yourself, first you watch your model, which gives your brain a, it looses the neurology. When you watch your model, like give a speech and not freak out, you watch it, watch it, watch it. And then you see yourself do it. You can't just have them step into the movie. You have to see yourself do it, right? 
um, you see yourself have different responses, right? So they think what's beginning to happen, your brain's starting to rewrite those neural, neural things. And when you step into the movie and you see, hear, and feel it, it goes in a little deeper, right? And then I always stress, now you need to go do it. You don't just have to think about it, right? That's why anchoring, physical anchoring works good. It's adding a physical touch, right? And the last thing when it comes to the hierarchy of thought and the naturalistic theory is some memories have no words. There's no story, right? Our higher mind wants to find a story, right? And what really is happening is a lot of your deep memories are feelings, they're senses. The current buzzword is it's a felt sense, right? But then our higher minds want to go, why am I freaking out about this? You know, when the, whenever anybody in authority yells at me, I just freak out, you know, and they, they, they look for a story and they can't find one. But they're thinking like an adult that there should be like one event where maybe a teacher, a boss, my parents, somebody yelled at me. No, it could have been a, a, a culmination of a lot of little things that happened that led to this feeling, right? And so it's a felt sense. And that, especially if these things happen before you were pre-verbal, right? Which doesn't just mean like three or four years old. Before you're like um, eight, nine, 10 years old, a lot of the experience you had, you really can't put words to because you didn't have the words for it, you know? You don't have the words for it. If you don't have the words for it, words don't work, right? Uh, and it's, it's kind of interesting, right? The other time it can happen is when you're truly tro thrown into a traumatic situation. You know, uh, they always think of like combat, that could be one, but car wrecks, violent crime, um, a death of a loved one. Um, yeah, and you don't have to go through it yourself. You could just see it. Any of those things, if, it, if, it's, if you're empathetic and you watch it like on TV, it'll throw you into trauma. When you're in trauma, you're at the part of your mind, there are no words. There are no words for it, right? That's why when you really talk to people with post-traumatic stress, and I'll use combat as an example, a lot of the guys say, I can't describe it. Well, just tell me the story. Oh, and they could tell you the story of being, you know, being in a firefight and people getting killed or IEDs going off, but they really can't describe it because they're in a firefight to, for their lives at that moment. They are in the lowest levels of their mind just trying to survive, right? And now we come along and we want, and, and it's why the real research says, contrary to Freudian thought, having you talk about these things does not make it better. It can reinforce it, right? And then your higher mind kicks in and adds gain, sh gain sh shame, guilt, and remorse. Why didn't I respond better? Why am I feeling bad and the other guys in my platoon handle it well? Well, you don't know if they handle it well, you know? Um, so it, it adds that, right? And, and you can bring in even deeper cognitive dissonance, the separation, by trying to explain it, right? Instead of just saying that, it's just what happened, right? And it's the way my brain responded. I felt, I froze in the firefight, even though people were getting killed around me, I froze, right? Because you were in terror, 
right? And then you judge it later, like that must mean I'm not a real man or I'm not a good soldier, sailor, airman, whatever it was, right? Um, it's just, you know, or you get jumped and you think, why didn't I fight back? Why didn't I fight back? Well, you were in a different part of your mind. That part, you couldn't fight back. Right? You couldn't fight back. And so this, this is a different way of looking at all of these things. But when you add in the hot model, you know, it's where are you? When you're in the, you know, when you're in that primary sense, you know, in the first level of thought, that's all that's going on. Maybe you could, and you could teach people to pull back and see it, see the experience. Are you really angry? Are you really hungry? Are you really fearful? Or it's just the situ situation's out of control, you know? Or it can go to the highest level where you're totally disassociated, where you're thinking the thought. And so this begins to give your hypnosis and NLP a different framework, right? Um, it's why like some techniques, like a progressive relaxation, drives you down into your physical body. So if you're highly analytical and you're thinking too much and suddenly someone goes, okay, take a deep breath. Now focus on your breathing, focus on your breathing, relax your toes, relax your toes. It's pulling you out of thinking in, into your body, right? And it's why you see people whenever they drop in from a higher level of thought, if you want to call it that, down into their body, they get a ah, response, right? Um, but it's just natural, you know? And, and I think to sum it up, everyone forgets we're still animals. You know, we're not that in the arc of evolution, we're an eye blink away from running in, across the Serengeti away from a lion. It hasn't been millions of years, right? Um, and, and, and evolution takes time, right? And again, it's why people come to us, they, you, you, they'll be looking for a story and sometimes there's just no story. You know, whenever I'm sad, I have to eat. It's a felt sense. And then they look for a reason, maybe, who knows? And that's irrelevant, it's the felt sense. So there are techniques you could do to bypass that without trying to find an initial sensitizing event, right? Because there may not be one. There might be one, but there may not be one, right? And it's more of a, a, a different level. Uh, so that's a little bit on this beautiful thing I call you know, the triune brain and the naturalistic theory and the hot model, right? How you experience disassociate and things like that. Um, and it gives you a totally different viewpoint of it and helps, helps us help other people make change and yourself, right? Because again, sometimes it has nothing to do with your higher self or your, or your personality. It's how your brain responded to the situation. Right. And I remember one time someone who may name nameless, but they love to do rapid induction. Right. Just walk up sleep to people. And I'm sitting there going, this is interesting. You know, and the person was teaching it, you know. And I saw a student, this happened to a student. Well, when the person that was teaching it, he just intuitively or he kind of knew that he set it up so the people seeing it, like it was in a bar, right? where it's like, you know, so like you guys, Michelle and Carol watching 
and they see this person do this fun, funny stuff over there. So then they approach you and they go, sleep, you know, the person will respond. Well, the student didn't pick up that. They just walked up to a stranger, grabbed them their hand and went sleep like that. And the person popped them in the, in the face as hard as they could, right? And it was like, that was an instantaneous survival response. And you find out that person been a veteran, been in combat. It's like, you shocked me, I'm like, boom. And then they felt terrible, right? <laughs> and I'm like, that's why I wouldn't walk up on the street, you know? And I've, I've noticed the guys that teach the, the and I wish, I, and one guy actually does. When he takes the students out like in Vegas and they start practicing, he'll say practice with each other so other people can see it first. Right? So then they know, oh, this is what's going on. And then everybody, you know, nobody wants to be left out, fear of missing out. Yeah, hypnotize me and that, that. But if you just walk up to a complete stranger and grab them and start doing that, I would dare say that may not end well. You know, and I had this argument with somebody. I said, well, okay, well, you know, I ain't doing it, you know, because I don't want to get popped in the head, you know. And in this day and age, you don't know if that guy's packing or that lady's packing. You know, you might get tasered, shot. All right. Uh, so anyway, let me uh, stop the recording. So if you have any questions, again, reach out to me at where's my stuff. There's my info. Um, let me stop the recording. And...